Welcome back to another exciting episode of The Geek Whispers. I'm John Mark Troyer. And I'm Amy Lewis. And I'm Matt Brender. And we've got another great guest this week. We are still in the land of people, which is as opposed to the land of, I don't know. Cyborgs. Bits and bytes and cyborgs and Skynet. We're still in the land of people. We are talking this week. I'm very pleased to welcome to the show, Jill Jabinski. Jill, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. And I say we are in the world of people, Jill. I, I think of you as a recruiter, but I was actually just stalking you on LinkedIn. Your actual <laughs> title at the moment is Technical Community Evangelist for Blue Box, an IBM company. Correct. Yes. Do you want to talk about how... Are you still a recruiter? Uh, yes, I guess. So title-wise, I don't actually sit in the HR function of IBM or Blue Box. So that's why I was brought in under a different title, but also just because I run things a little bit differently than a lot of other recruiters do. So I don't think the title recruiter necessarily fits me, but that's kind of why that is. Is part of your job to get smart, intelligent people to join the Blue Box team? A hundred percent. Okay. You're recruiter-esque? Yes. Maybe? Ish? Ish, yeah, let's like do that. ish. I know. I've got to hear it. So I want to hear your job description. Tell us how you sit on the org chart and why. Okay, so I was brought in by Jesse Proudman, who, of course, started Blue Box 13 or 14 years ago. I've known him through the OpenStack community for four or so years. And when they were getting acquired by IBM, I was actually running all of technical recruiting over at DigitalOcean in New York City. And basically what happened is Jesse, I was actually finding these DMs between us the other day, and they're very funny to look at because he's like, come work for us. And I'm like, I'm not working for the man. And now here I am. Um, <laughs> trying to be sassy at first, but it didn't work out. But so when, when they were getting acquired by IBM about a year ago at this point, he knew that they were going to need to add a lot of technical talent very quickly within the OpenStack realm. And that's kind of my bread and butter from back in my Rackspace days. He wanted to make sure that we were able to bring people on board, not only really great talent, really fast, but also to still have an amazing process and and through that, keep the beautiful culture that is Blue Box culture intact. And so that candidates were having a great experience and hiring managers were having a great experience and I was having fun doing my role. And so kind of all encompassing things. That's kind of why I was brought on and, and what I was brought on to do. And so from a community and evangelist-ish kind of perspective, I travel a ton. I'm always at conferences and, you know, feet on the street type of thing to know what's going on in the community, the who's who things like that. And then also spreading the good word, not only of Blue Box. And I think this is just how I run things in general. Like no matter what company that I'm at, the people that I'm working with come first. So if I talk to you about a role within the company that I'm at and it's awesome and things are working out, then I'm going to help you get that role. And if it's not the right fit, I'm not going to sell you on it if it's not good for you. And if maybe there's a fit elsewhere within the company or Heck, I have a lot of contacts at other companies that something you just really want. I'm more than happy to make an introduction. So that's kind of how, how I run things. And I just have to jump in and say, you've given me like five mic drop moments in that, in that rundown because it should be so obvious that company culture and part of working for a company starts way before you sign the dotted line. But so few people acknowledge it so programmatically as it sounds as is done in your role how smart that is to have that forward leaning face of the company be engaging and be aware and not just be company, company, company all the time. It's all the things we talk about in terms of how to conduct yourself as a human in social media 
that in real life and beyond. So and kudos, that's, that's a great explanation of why you sit where you sit and how the role is, is a little atraditional. Yeah, thank you very much. I have a great time doing my job. And so I, and I don't think that I said this. So I actually functionally report to Jesse under like the office of the CTO, which I think is super telling about Blue Box and about what IBM is okay with too, to say that like, we really believe that this should be front and center. So we're willing to, to make it that. And so I sit with other evangelists, but I report to Jesse and they're more of like the super tech side of things and sales enablement and things like that. And then also like our blue box HR function is a peer to mine as well. That's super cool. Hey, Matt, have you ever ended up working with a recruiter in your career? Cough. I've tried to work with Jill multiple times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is so true. <laughs> Not Jill. Recruiters in general. Not intentionally, but full disclosure, <laughs> yeah, I, I interacted with Jill on a couple occasions and mm-hmm. we were playing the matching game and org chart wise, it didn't quite fit in either situation. But I have to say that like, I've never wanted to work for a place because I like the recruiter so much, but uh, <laughs> Jill definitely gives that impression of just like the energy of a culture really just a, a few times. And I, I think we talked in the last one, can you have a great corporate culture with a crappy hiring process, I think the answer is maybe, but there's definitely something that like that first touch is just amazing when you have somebody with the energy uh, that you have, Jill. So I have nothing but kudos to say to you. I'm actually really curious though, how the hell does that work? Like you have an evangelist title, you are responsible for headcount. I get that it sounds logical, but org charts are rarely logical. So how does that work in (laughs) practice? And you talked about going to a lot of events, do you end up sourcing a lot via people you meet or do you still source via quote-unquote traditional ways? Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. I mean, now I'm lucky, you know, through the years I have a, a great community and a great network that I can work through and find people from that path. But also I do more traditional sourcing too, but I don't really like traditionally source on LinkedIn. My traditional sourcing is on Twitter. That's kind of where I found a handful of candidates from Blue Box as well. So it's really funky, honestly, how it works at Blue Box. And it's not necessarily going to work everywhere else. But like IBM has an HR like recruitment component. And they're the ones that screen candidates that are applying to the ATS, the applicant tracking system. If I have a recruiter that I work with, and if people cross those qualifications, then she sends them to me. The thing is, with the level of talent that we need and the type of talent that we need, we've not hired a single person who's applied to a role, which isn't that odd in itself. But it does make my job a little bit harder because I think since I've started, we've hired something like 48 people. And so they've all come from traditional sourcing techniques or from employee referrals. So we've been keeping ourselves pretty busy. Age of the resume and the application, at least in our field, is kind of dead beyond a beginner entry level. Yeah, no, completely. I, I definitely agree to that. It's interesting because I have a lot of you know friends who will come to me and ask for advice and want me to review resumes and things like that. And, and I know from job searching myself before, a resume is still at the point where it's a lot of times you need one just to get in the door or whatnot. But I personally, like, I care little what's on your resume. Like, I want to talk to you. And I want to hear about what you do, what you're passionate about, things like that. That's going to help me a lot, lot more than than reading a really boring document because they all are. Isn't it kind of crazy, Jill, that you're in a profession? I mean, recruiter is kind of a dirty word. My my wife was a recruiter for many years, so Uh it never was in our house. But, you know, she was the good kind. 
isn't it weird you're in a profession that has so many bad apples or I, I don't know how do you think how do you look at the rest of the of the recruiting world yeah it's really interesting and you know funny to think about i have i mean through hiring engineers for the past five or so years, I have the majority of my friends are engineers or in a tech capacity at some point. And so they interact very heavily with the quote unquote bad recruiters. I daily get emails from people or DMs of screenshots of reach outs that they get and hilarity that ensues from there. So yeah, it, it is it is weird. And I think that that's probably why, not probably, it is why I distance myself from that word in general. And I don't necessarily blame the recruiters. It's a lot of times like the, I guess the industry that perpetuates that that's what it is and that it's all about, you know, butts and seats and numbers. And, and it is to a certain extent, but they don't necessarily allow people to think outside the box and, and people don't see that kind of like the accomplishments that can come from doing that. So it becomes scary and it's a, it's a weird, you know, cycle that, that happens, but recruiter is not that great word. <laughs> well, you're right. It's the system that's broken. Not, yeah. don't, hate the, don't hate the player, hate the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you set up a system where people are working on contingency, they're not getting paid unless they place somebody. And when they p- place that person, they're going to get, you know, twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 or more. That drives very irrational behavior or something. Oh, yeah, completely. And I mean, so that's from agency side of things. And I don't know, maybe it's because I never worked agency that I don't have that mentality. So sometimes you just get lucky with how, how things end up. Even from an internal recruitment perspective, it's encouraging unintentionally recruiters to like throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. Well, Jill, you've been in HR your whole career, again, from stalking you on your LinkedIn page <laughs> just now. I mean, how did you develop this approach to finding talent? The way that I started noticing you, actually, is, as I was just saying before we hit record, that I really feel like you kind of apply the, the Geek Whisperer's principles in, in your area that we do in ours. You know, we were three people who were working on community and, and social and community projects, and we we just kind of, again, it mostly it was Twitter. We got on Twitter and we're, we talked about this ad nauseum, how we, you know, we just kind of were ourselves, and it just kind of worked. And that gave us a platform. It gave us leverage and made these connections and, da, 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 and it takes time. And I see so many recruiters try to be on Twitter and I see them, they're trained to be on Twitter and, and they kind of, they, they're very clumsy at it. Was this a planned thing or did it just kind of happen? I wish it was planned because that would sound way cooler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, it wasn't planned at all. Like a very Cliff Notes version of my background. So I have uh, undergrad in psych, uh, master's in what's called industrial organizational psychology, which is like a stat-based HR psych. It's very strange, uh, but it was really, really cool. And one small component of that, along with mostly like research, training and development and org change is recruitment. Kind of interesting to me. My first gig out of grad school was just as an HR generalist at this manufacturing company. So definitely not tech whatsoever. I was hiring like line workers and mechanical engineers and sales folks and things like that. It just happened to be down the street from this company called Rackspace. I had just moved to San Antonio, never heard of it. And it was kind of like anyone who's anyone in San Antonio wanted to work at Rackspace. So I did my recruitery thing and figured out on LinkedIn who was running recruitment there and messaged Tim, who was, ended up being my boss and weaseled my way in for an interview. And <laughs> kind of the rest is history. I showed up and they're like, hey, you're going to recruit Linux admins. And I'm like, cool, thinking I have no idea what that is. I lo- it's like it's like recruiter inception. I love that story. <laughs> yeah, that's such a meta story. I'm trying to think of how that goes. 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. And so in tangent with that, I had, I mean, Twitter was just kind of blowing up at the same time. So I'm from the Midwest originally. So um, how I stayed in touch with my St. Louis friends really easily and was kind of having fun with it there. And then as I started recruiting, I think before Twitter, even just actually expanding my community in a person to person basis is how I first differentiated myself, I would say. I love people so much and I uh, love being around people. And it's like how I, I mean, I'm, I'm the typical like extrovert. It's how I get my energy. So sitting at a desk all day and like being on LinkedIn didn't really get me going. So I wanted to go sit with my team. So Rackspace, I would just go down and bug the sysadmins into submission until they were inviting me to lunch and happy hours and things like that. And at the same time, you know, little did they know I was getting to know everything about them, how a sysadmin communicated, what they did all day, things like that. And so that was super fun for me. And then at the same time, starting to connect on Twitter to all sorts of different engineers. And if you follow me on Twitter, I'm a real weird person. And <laughs> there's just no, there's no holding that back. And that's never going to change. And luckily, it turns out a lot of tech people are pretty weird, too. And oh, yeah. they, can, <laughs> they can sniff phony and they can sniff BS. And I'm neither of those things, like to a fault. We just vibed really well. And, and it just kind of took off from there. And I mean, I honestly will be living my day to day and like pinching myself that this is the gig that I have and like the community that I've been able to build. It's awesome. That's so cool. Jill. Well, that's exactly it. It is so much of doing it like all the geek whispers have to John's point. It's about building community. It's just to what end. And I think that's something people don't do enough of. My little rant this week is anytime people talk about leveraging influencers, I'm like, it's not a lever. They're not one of the simple machines that physics teaches us. They're people, right? It's about engaging. It's about not about leveraging. And I can hear that in you as well in saying you kind of went full Jane Goodall in joining the community. So there's the element of psychology that taught you how to do what you do differently because you were fully immersed. And so you could understand orangutan language or whoever. I'm sure she studied chimpanzees. I can't remember. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> what, whichever group. But it allowed you to speak the language. It allowed you to walk freely within the group because you're an accepted part of the community. And for me, I apply it in marketing because my use case is not hiring as much as it is getting somebody to appear on a video. But it is a lot easier when you know them or somebody knows you than if it's cold calling. Oh, yeah, completely. I'm very fortunate to say that I've never in my whole career cold called someone. And why I don't is because I don't even like my mom calling me if I don't know she's going to call me. So <laughs> I don't want a random person calling me. So I treat others how I would want to be treated as well. That sounds like super cliche, but it is what it is. It's cliche because it's true. So <laughs> so Jill, I wanted to ask, though, if we rewind back to that time where you first went down and were hanging out with your, your fellow rackers at Rackspace, what kept you focused on the recruiting angle? Because I know a lot of people that they're in some sort of job function and they meet other people and they dive really deep into the tech. So did you ever consider a path where you went down a sysadmin or developer pathway or did you just know your heart was in recruiting? The thought has crossed my mind before and then I'll look into it a little bit more and I'm like, oh yeah, this actually doesn't seem that interesting to me. I like the people side and I stick with that because what 
techs are good at, or they're good at, they, you know, stay in that lane a bit. And what I'm good at is the people part. And so understanding what my strengths are and sticking to those has always kind of kept me on that path. So as you're going out amongst the chimpanzees, you know, maybe let's let's flip it from the chimpanzees perspective for a minute. Part of the recruiting problem is you've got a job description. It was copied from another job description that was written by a hiring manager who doesn't quite understand what's needed, given to a recruiter who certainly doesn't understand anything except the keywords, put on a website. People look at it, think, well, I don't have 20 years of OpenStack experience because no one does, yep. <laughs> and I don't have the right keywords, or they think, well, I could fake the keywords, and then you get the whole diversity conversation of who feels like they can fake it and who doesn't feel like they can fake it. I'm just kind of thinking, you know, there's that whole problem with the whole application process and screening process. Is part of what you do maybe matchmaker? You, you see somebody and you try to figure out what role would work for them, even if they don't, I mean, do you have to talk people into it sometimes or make them realize what they possibly could do? Is that part of the gig as well? Yeah, uh, of course. There definitely is matchmaking components to it. I would say that the best case scenario of how it would work with a recruiter working with a hiring manager in a specific team is that the recruiter should be highly, highly skilled at people. And I think recruiters should have backgrounds in psychology. And I'm not just saying that because I do. I just, I'm saying it because it's really helped me because I, I do read people well because of it. I do understand people's motivations and things like that. And so when I talk to a candidate on the phone, now I can talk like pretty high level about tech. I understand a lot of things, but I mean, that came with years and years of having, gosh, so many tech conversations that were so over my head and just, you know, Googling to oblivion and things like that. And so now I, I understand a lot more, but being able to have those conversations and how I gauge people from a tech perspective is typically, can they explain their role to me as a non-tech person or fairly non-tech person? If you can be a sys engineer at whatever level and explain to me what you do on the day-to-day and I get it, you probably know what you're doing. So that kind of gets those like weird buzzwords aside. What they try to do when they do this to recruiters a lot is give them like a list of questions for candidates to answer And of course, they'll have your engineer will do a write-up of what they should be saying. But if they go off that beaten path at all, I have no idea what they're talking about and if they're right or wrong or whatnot. And then it just ends up a very uncomfortable conversation for everyone. So I refuse to do that. I just want to have a real conversation. I tangent a lot. I want to know your personality. Again, high-level tech. And then I hate like culture fit kind of whatever personality kind of skill set type of thing. And then I can hand them off to the team. And then the team, it's their job because it's not all on recruitment. It's the, the tech group's role to make sure that from a technical perspective that their chops are, are up to par. And so I hold my teams very accountable for that because a lot of teams, when candidates don't work out, will want to blame everything on the recruiter. I don't let that happen. I think, again, like everybody should play to their strengths in the equation. And then you just end up finding really amazing candidates. But definitely there's been times where I, I've had to talk candidates into roles. There are times I've had to talk teams into candidates and this is like the ultimate fun for me. And I won't call this person out, but like someone who I basically had to beg to get hired at Rackspace and now they're a PTL of one of the the OpenStack projects. And it's like just such a heartwarming point for me to just be like, yeah, like you went in there and you like killed it. And we proved it to them that you could do it. So yeah, it's a really fun like mama bear moment. (laughs) I really love the point about, uh, and this is a great tip for everybody, right? Being able to explain what you do. A few episodes back, we were at a VMUG talking to people about their careers. 
Right, Matt, you tried to push people on that and you found that not everybody could do that, had thought through their job role that way. No, no. You had people that had very similar roles for, you know, eight to 10 years and they had grown in expertise, but you still could not get them to summarize like that pitch of what am I good at from like a deep technical level or from a high level. So yeah, the, those were the two that keep hitting home for me, John, like the needing to have both those stories down as an individual. That's the less... Maybe each episode of the Geek Whisperer should have a lesson. A lesson. <laughs> Can we start like doing that? Like a parable. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jill, I got to imagine you are in a very unique position in the tech industry and in, in your role. How on earth do you get along with the rest of the corporation? Do they fear you? Do they envy you? Do they uh, understand you? Do they ignore you? I mean, how, how do you swim upstream uh, in, in a giant corporation? So you mean like from other recruiters' perspective or... I mean, you said you're next to HR. I mean, is, is Blue Box HR probably, is that even separate from big yeah, IBM yeah, that's, HR? Yeah, that's separate from IBM HR. Yeah, that's just well, that's like... that's probably good. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> <laughs> Does regular HR even get what you do? No, they typically don't. <laughs> and this is not just just at IBM, but I mean, it's... Yeah, I don't want to call out. Yeah, it's at many companies I've worked for, and I've seen it at, at other companies as well. But it is... I handle things a, a lot differently. And so I do get a little bit of pushback from other recruiters in, in not understanding or, you know, thinking that this came out of nowhere where, I mean, I didn't overnight all of a sudden have a community. It's something that takes a lot of time. And in tangent with that, I was recruiting in more typical ways because I still did have to fill positions and keep my job. <laughs> and so now I've been able to kind of flip to, to full-time like community-based recruiting it's a weird thing, but the more that I do it and the more that I talk to other recruiters, I find that people want to understand it more and want to be able to kind of think outside the box. And I think what especially speaks to them is seeing that engineers and technical talent that I hire, we continue to be friends after I hire them. And engineers, this sounds like so full of myself, like they respect me and they respect what I do and they don't give a lot of other recruiters that respect. So people want to be respected by people. So how do you teach other recruiters that? Because obviously you can teach some technique, but you can't teach personality. So how do you go about when people ask you that question, giving them something practical to try? A lot of what I'll do is talk to people about how I utilize Twitter, because it's a lot different than how other people, I mean, other recruiters on there, a lot of times will just be tweeting job postings or articles and very bot-like, and that's not fun for anyone. So I generally try to tell people to be themselves. Y'all were talking about this on another, uh, now I'm going to forget the phrase that y'all used, so I'm getting really excited, about, uh, John, you said it, it's like the more you were John, that the, <laughs> uh, the more like successful you got. The sure. more John Troyer you are, the more, the more successful. But of course, that only applies if you're John Troyer. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Be like Mike, be like John. No, no, yeah. The more you're set, you're more yourself. The more so you're successful you are. The problem is all of us sometimes ourselves is <laughs> are unpleasant. So that's <laughs> that's, a, that's a challenge. That's a good point. Yeah, but you know, to be project your best self. Then how <laughs> yes. about that? To be be genuine and you know continue to build those relationships. I think what where a lot of recruiters fall off is that as soon as they fill a position, that's the last time they talk to that person. And that I talk to candidates. Actually, I talked to a guy who I hired at my very first role like two days ago. And this is not even within a technical community at all whatsoever. But keeping those connections is super important. And I think people don't realize that, um, that it, it works for recruitment as well. 
I think secretly my I'm going to get out my org chart prognosticator hat. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I think you sit in sales because uh, I, I'm laughing because I just got finished teaching a social selling track. And I swear to goodness, the resonance here is incredible. It is about don't go in and sell first, you know, build the relationships before you sell that, you know, referrals are your best future business. Mm-hmm. Everything you're saying that loyalty is easier than it was ironically called never cold call again. So you can see it's it's been in my mind the whole time you're talking. It's the same thing. It, it is a matter of people buy from people, all these things we've said before. And it's amazing. A job is something you're in some ways buying into. And the idea of being dropped off at the point of sale is kind of disheartening. And in places where I felt most at home, there was a real connection between me and the that it wasn't just a faceless entity that brought me into the fold. They're sort of your your sire into the business. And and when that's a great experience, it's a memorable one. It's one that you tell other people. It's one that you want to share with other people. You become part of the the team. I just find that really interesting. But yes, I'm, I'm thinking you're squarely in sales of the good variety, not the slick back hair variety. Yeah, it's funny because I actually agree with you very much so. And when I am explaining my role more to like my family that's outside of tech and doesn't really understand, you know, roles that I'm hiring for and things like that. I explain it in a very sales way. I'm reluctant to say that to a lot of people though, because again, sales doesn't always have the greatest connotation either. But yeah, I, I do think that, you know, the best salesmen and women are, are people who build great networks, who genuinely care about the people that they're selling to. And so there's belief there. And of course there's, you know, at the end of the day, there is a product involved, but to know that I'm not going to pull the wool over your eyes, at least not on purpose. <laughs> you know, that's a, a good and more comfortable feeling for everybody. Well, Jill, you've used this approach at a couple of different companies. I'm assuming it's transferable. I mean, can, is this something that everybody can do? And I'm, I'm being a little hesitant here because we've, again, we've had this conversation a lot and I know how I do what I do and I can see how what you do once you've got it going like now you're gliding and you yeah. know you you're going to conferences and you know people and you have a community and it's working and I think sometimes people look at at I mean I don't want to put the three of us up on some sort of weird pedestal either but you know we have active communities we're you know we're doing stuff 5 or 7 years ago we weren't and I still I still I struggle Amy's better at it and than I am and I, I don't Matt, I don't know if you how much coaching you end up doing I still struggle with coaching people on how to get that fire started right how to get the plane rolling let alone off the ground. And I agree that it is hard to teach. And then it sounds, you know, like you're kind of full of yourself saying that, Um, you know, everybody's a little bit different. And when I am mentoring and teaching others, what I focus on are, you know, just those relationship building key pieces. And of course, I'm not trying to make a bunch of Jill clones because I want to be employed too. Like, I'm not trying to get pushed out here. What I try to focus on is the importance of relationship building both inside and outside of your company. And so, you know, those relationships with uh, the teams that you're hiring for, with the hiring managers that you're working for and continuing to build and grow those, that's like the key heart of all of what I do. Um, So that's mostly the knowledge share that I try to pass on to others to help you kind of differentiate yourself from other recruiters and just to not do that cheesy recruiterness. I mean, it just drives me, drives me absolutely insane. (laughs) Well, that's a perfect segue to uh, our favorite question, of course, such a positive personality, but we always like to look for the negative space too. 
So if you're counseling somebody on one thing, either a mistake you've made or seen, what is in this course, in this building of community, in this kind of doing a job differently, what is one thing you'll never do again? Yeah, that's a good question. At the beginning, I let things get to me a little bit too much right away. And and what I mean is, so as you're learning community and and a skill and things like that, there's going to be barriers and obstacles. There's going to be a ton of people who know more than you. And I always specifically remember this example of one of the first conferences I was at. I was in a group of engineers and this one engineer who just, I guess, hated recruiters or women or something was just going toe to toe with me to try to prove to everyone that I was not as smart and should not be in this circle. And he did a really good job at it, let me tell you. And I really took it really personally and it affected me for a long time. And it was unfortunate. And of course, I remember who this person is and I would never hire him ever. Um, (laughs) But but I think that you have to be tough. Um, And especially as a as a woman in tech, especially a woman in tech who is not particularly like technical, like I'm not an engineer, I'm never going to be one, but to, you know, have a little bit of thick skin and men need to have it too, but not to get, you know, discouraged um, to, you know, push past those things. And I think that I wouldn't have let it set me back for as long as I did. So that's probably the main thing. I think that's a great one. And uh, I'm laughing to myself because uh, there are times that I think when someone's mean to me now, I think you're going to appear anecdotally on the geek whispers. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it may not be now, you know, I may not know when, but someday that story is going to come up. Well, Jill Jubinski, thank you so much for coming on the Geek Whispers. You and I have never met in person, but um, I am so glad that I've noticed you in our community on Twitter and that, you know, you had these connections with everybody else. Now we know you a little better and I'm sure that we'll run into each other at a conference sometime. Yeah. And we'll already know each other. Yeah. How cool will that be? No, it's going to be going to be awesome. And I could not appreciate you guys having me on the show more. And it's been an absolute blast chatting. Cool. If people do want to find you online, where would they go? Yeah. So the easiest way to get a hold of me is on Twitter and I'm at Jill Jubbs. It's J-I-L-L-J-U-B-S. I check that constantly. So that's, that's the go-to. <laughs> a woman after my own heart. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like try to email me or anything. I mean, I'm good at email too, but I'm better at Twitter. <laughs> It's the priority queue. Yeah, exactly. It makes me laugh a lot more than emails do. So (laughs) That's often a part of it. Well, cool. It's been so much fun. Thank you again. And it has been another week of the Geek Whispers. We'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Geek Whispers podcast. Tune in on iTunes or Stitcher for regular stories of technology careers, cultures, and lives. Share it with a friend or invite us to an event through our website, geek-whispers.com. Find us on Twitter at geek underscore whispers or at jtroyer, mjbrender, and commsninja. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Paper scissors it. John, uh, how do we rock rock paper scissors <laughs> over? Okay, so ask you rock paper scissor. What's okay? The rock One. paper scissor shoot. Wait, oh, paper. Me. Yeah, paper yeah. comes rock. John. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I've never done that before. Me That's, neither. I don't I think anybody ever has. Up.